Michelle McGran from Coeus Creative Group. Welcome to today's How to Jab and Knock Out the Competition with Real Leadership Sales and Marketing Results. How are you? Awesome. How are you today? Awesome. Well, Michelle, wherever you want to start, how did you get involved with Coeus? How did that come about? And tell me a little bit about your experiences with really helping companies understand personality traits, <laughs> you know, within, yeah. within an organizational structure. So about... I would say 2007-ish, uh, my best friend from college started a company and it was a communications consulting company uh, that he went to organizations and talked to them about both internal and external communications. And we had met on the debate team in college. And so mm. when he needed additional help with trainers about persuasion and advocacy and and messaging related to that I started helping him with his company and doing some of those trainings about 2014 he decided he didn't want to be a solo entrepreneur anymore mm. um, so he invited a few of us who had been sort of his key people and contractors to join um, him in sort of reframing the company into yep. what became Coeus Creative Group. So we stepped up as full partners wow. and we've grown the company since then. So, um, yeah. Uh, but before I started working with him or kind of alongside, yep. I was in academic administration at a big university. And so I was leading some of the larger projects um, related to like assessment and accreditation. So really started to get a background into how organizations first led in change because many of these initiatives were brand new or yeah. in some of those uh, process improvement type of programs, even if they weren't new. And that kind of led itself into with that background in communication as well into working with organizations like we do now. Wow. I would say this, I mean, but there's power in networking, right? And we actually talked about this offline with, you just never know whether high school, grade school, middle school, college, you just never know when things come full circle. That's a really cool story. No, because I mean, if you had asked me when I started, first of all, I didn't even know that being a professional trainer and speaker was a thing like that wasn't <laughs> it's not one you check off on the employment interest survey at right. your, you know counselor in high school um and at the time i was totally convinced that i was going to go on and stay in uh, academics i was going to coach debate teams i was going yep. to do all of these things and I did it and I didn't like it. <laughs> and, you know, you just kind of fall into things. Looking back, I can say, okay, I took this opportunity and then this led to this, led to this, led to this. But it's really, you know, it's never a straight line. And it's nope. about taking on those opportunities and meeting new people. Because like you said, that network, everything, you know, the majority of my business today is through referrals that have come from growing networks and somebody that you know saying, hey, I know this person and introducing them. And I mean, that's, that's I would say, almost all, if not all of my opportunities have come from 
networking and just jumping on a, hey, this sounds interesting. This sounds fun. Let's try yep. it out. Right? That's awesome. Well, let's jump into, because I think there's a quite a few misconceptions and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Because I listen, I've taken a few DISC assessments in my day as a youngin and even, you know, even early, you know, later on, you know, a few years ago, just, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, Chris, just, you know, kind of be spontaneous. You know, the first thing that comes to you, just make sure to select that, right? Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the misconceptions with personality assessments in general? Yeah, so um, we use personality assessments and then we also created what we call, or what is a behavioral assessment because okay. we think that there's, an, and I mentioned that because sometimes it's easier to explain the misconceptions by kind of comparing and contrasting, right? So yep. personality assessment like Myers-Briggs, which has yep. been kind of reframed also, and people take it more as the 16 personalities, DISC, Neo-PIR. I mean, there's a million on the market, right? And the thing about them is, is that they are very good at telling you about yourself, right? So if you take a DISC profile to tell you if you're yep. high dominant, you know, your control, and a lot of times on outside in, when dealing with somebody, I can guess like, okay, you may be a high D or you may be a high C just based on the way that you um, kind of act or, or our interaction together. Um, but they're very difficult to use in a group setting unless you share what your assessment is. So many organizations who use DISC will have um, their employees like publish their DISC profiles on their door. I've seen that mm. in offices. But it, again, unless you tell somebody, you don't, it's very hard from someone to observe that person, that personality assessment. Um, they're also kind of prescriptive in many cases, like they're okay. very much personality, uh, most, uh, most um, neuroscientists will tell you that personality is pretty well established by the age of six. Wow. Um, and unless you are subject to some sort of trauma or something that yep. leads to a personality shift, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, and so a personality assessment can be really useful to understand oneself and kind of operate within those guidelines. But we find also that while your personality can be set, that doesn't mean that you always behave the same way. Ah. And that behavior is a choice and mm. you can choose to behave in different ways, no matter what your personality is. Um, and so a behavioral assessment on the other side is um, more looks at some of those observable behaviors and gives you some ins personal insight onto why you do the things that you do, but can be used then as a coaching tool to say, okay, these are positive in these contexts, but in this context, it may be negative. What do you want to do differently? And that sort of self-realization coupled with, um, you know, whether it be coaching or a workshop or something yep. can lead to that, that change um, that many are seeing. It also is helpful in that group interaction to understand and be able, the behavioral assessment being more observable is that once you've kind of used it and gone through the program or some training on it, 
you'll be able to identify those behavioral traits in someone else and mm. either influence them or work within them um, to kind of to create better culture, to lower conflict, communicate better. So all of those positive outcomes that we want in sort of a workplace or organizational level. Love it. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot to digest there. I'm just thinking about some of the managers <laughs> I've dealt with and trying to either influence or, you know, or, yeah. or align with kind of their strategic objectives, right? But that's yeah. really good stuff, the behavior versus the personality. So let me ask you this. What are some of the top two or three trends you're seeing out there as it relates to behavioral or personality traits within organizations from your experience? Yeah, so a lot of organizations are reaching out to us right now um, about culture. So okay. culture is sort of that big umbrella. Yep. And underneath, there are different challenges the organizations are facing, whether they're doing return to work or not mm. return to work, either way has implications for how the workplace is the interacting with each other. Sure. Uh, and it's kind of brought into light, I would say, because it, it's not that it's created, but it, it's shined a light on cultural problems that may have been existing beforehand that mm. people just weren't really aware of. And there is an understanding now with a lot of the issues with hiring and retention and staffing that money is not as important as a positive and healthy workplace. And so they're investing in those cultural pieces to mm. make it so people want to come work there, that they're happier. Um, obviously, burnout is still a big topic, but again, in some ways, that's also related to culture mm. uh, because we can influence a lot of burnout and the feelings of burnout when it comes to the culture that you're setting within the workplace. You're, so you already kind of, already kind of <laughs> answered my next question about, you know, how do you avoid burnout? I mean, look, I've been there. Uh, I think a lot of us have been there with, you know, you, whether it's a manager you're struggling with or, mm -hmm. you know, j just, just the, you know, the, the stress and strain on, on the job responsibilities, right. That I've had, um, Michelle, I mean, just from your experience, how do you help companies avoid burnout? I mean, obviously it's, it's some of it's culture related, but what are some kind of, you know, for the audience out there, some tips and tricks to kind of remove that burnout, right, that they have stuck in their head because they're just, they're stuck and they don't know how to get out. Right. So when we are talking to people about burnout, it, it, there are some tactics that you can use as an individual um, to try to combat it. You know, we say, I feel like all around, we hear these, you know, the idea of self-care, but a yep. lot of times we don't go into what that looks like, right? Self-care doesn't mean spa day or, or <laughs> something like that necessarily. It's doing what you need to recharge your batteries. And that is as unique and individual as the individual who needs it. So whether it's reading a book to just be able to shut your mind off a little bit and kind of disassociate from what's causing that burnout or taking a walk or you know meditating, these types of yep. things can assist. We also find that burnout is amplified when we are feeling that our networks are 
not as like we're not supported we don't necessarily have okay. networks and a lot of times you know remote work covid quarantine yep. that became a huge deal so sometimes it can be as simple as t picking up the phone even though it's hard and calling somebody that you haven't talked to in a while mm. you know, laughing with a good friend is a huge help even and we don't, it's funny because like, this is all advice we know, but it, right. it's, that doesn't mean we do it, <laughs> right? Um, so turning off the screen for a second, getting away, having, connecting with someone, um, as well as figuring out a strategy to kind of leave your problems in a, you know, when you leave work and that especially as an entrepreneur that is yep. increasingly difficult i'm always attached to my phone because if a client calls or if my staff right. needs to hear something there is no normal business hours but if you're able to set aside time and go even just for an hour no contact or put the phone down for dinner set those sort of boundaries um with your email or something like that. We've seen a big trend in organizations of people putting what their working hours are, oh. um, which may not be normal business hours, right? Okay. I have certain staff, we have flexible work arrangements. Yep. I have a staff member who was notorious for working at three o'clock at night. Now she would wow. sleep in like, but her sure. working hours were pretty much like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. and then she'd take a break in the afternoon and she'd stay up at late. We all just wow. kind of knew that. So we tried to respect of not contacting her at the times that she's not working. Um, setting those kind that kind of standard within your organization can help not only prevent burnout for you, but can make sure that you're not burning out the people around you either. Right. Right. Um, no, I, and technology love... exists now that you can be working and hit, you know, that auto send the email at 9am the next day. Yep. So you can type it whenever you want, but you're not flooding right. someone with messages or giving the dreaded ding when it's off, they're off hours. Right. Um, and that's more of from an organizational or team lead level. I love that. You know, I think about, you know, pre-pandemic, everything was so rigid and structured. I kind of felt like a robot. Like you had to be here at a certain time. You had, I remember I used to have those, you know, uh, I'll quote Office Space, the movie for those that are, that are as old as me, but, um, or have no clue what the heck I'm talking about. But, you know, we have to swipe the card in and then they track your time and you have to check in and check out. Like that was just so, um, uh, I can't think of the word not not chaotic, um, 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 trivial. It, it it just it just kind of it just felt like the dog days of same thing, same crap, you know, same shit, same stuff you're dealing with. But I think the if anything that we've learned from the pandemic is there is the ability to shift and to give mm -hmm. folks time to breathe mm -hmm. and to give folks the ability to be flexible, right? Um, I know there's you know the mental health days, right? You see a lot about. A lot about that out there, right? Not online, um, but but allowing people to grow and persevere. But I think I, I love what you said about the, the you building your tribe, right? I think is from my perspective has been extremely helpful for me is building the people you trust and being able to laugh, cry, hug with those people that are your trusted advisors, right? Is critical. I don't care what industry you're in or what type of environment you're in. 
you got to have people around you. Surround yourself with good people that you trust, know, like, trust. I use that a lot um, to really help you persevere through things that you just talked about with burnout. I, I just great perspective on trying to avoid or helping you avoid situations like that. So really do appreciate that. Now, I'm going to get into something that I have experience with is micromanagers being frustrated, especially in my early 20s, not knowing how to handle people like that, that maybe are a little maniacal, maybe have some dictatorship styles to them. What are your thoughts on what are some ways people can deal with folks like that when they just feel like they're stuck and they don't know how to influence that micromanager to just kind of be on the same page? Yeah, and, you know, no one sets out to be a micromanager, but that doesn't mean that they're not, right? And right, a lot of right. times when it comes to micromanagement, it's really diagnosing what's going on. Mm. People, you know, is it a question that they are feeling out of control on something else? So they are reaching out and trying to control this. Is there a lack of trust happening? Is there, you know, was their trust broken at an earlier point in time, which has now led that they feel that this is the only way to manage? Is it inexperience in a manager? So a lot of times I can see micromanagement happen with new managers because they don't know any different. And there is a sense of ego tied into like, I have to do this or it reflects poorly on me. I'm doing a bad job, right? That idea of difference between leadership and management at that yep. level. And not to say that management is not important too, because leadership without management is also not productive. But when it leads to that level of micromanagement, that's completely different. Now, in terms of what to do about it, it kind of depends on what's really going on. So we tell everyone, every participant that comes in, yep. like you can influence other people's behavior, but at the end of the day, you can only control your own behavior. Got it. So understanding what may be causing this could change the way in which you control your own behavior. So if it's if I'm looking at it a situation and I understand that it's a lack of trust, okay, well, now I need to understand what I did that led to this that lack of trust and do engage in trust building, right? Because uh, if you think of trust like a bank account, it yep. takes many more deposits than it does for one a withdrawal. It can ruin everything so yep. you know maybe it's a question of building up trust maybe it's if it's a control aspect because it's out of control somewhere else maybe it's being overly transparent right instead of building stuff on an excel stuff sheet build it yeah. in google sheet so that they can check whenever and you're not having to give constant updates um, interesting not that you can give them control over something else, right. but, um, and sometimes it may be that it, it, when, if they're doing multiple projects and they're controlling on this project, something could be wrong on the other project. What can you do there? Maybe you can't do anything. Um, you also find as, as difficult as it is, sometimes having that difficult conversation 
we give people a lot more credit than we should for being self-aware about mm. why they do the things that they do. So sometimes even just having a difficult conversation about, you know, I, I am observing this behavior. I am telling myself that you don't trust me, that, mm. you know, I'm doing a bad job. I don't think that you think that, but I'd like to have a conversation as to why, you know, this behavior keeps occurring. And sometimes posing it in that framework, it's um, it's actually a framework from uh, crucial conversations can prevent somebody from getting defensive sure. or going on the attack and really start an open dialogue of what's going on. Um, there is something to be said for communication, right? And I honestly, as soon as, as as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, God, that's a therapy session. Like just being able to say, here am I just literally throwing your cards up on the table saying, look, listen, here's the situation, right? Let's mm -hmm. talk through this. Help me understand why you're feeling your way. And I'll tell you why I'm feeling my way, right? Like the power of communication, go ahead. Well, and it's so, it's amazing how much miscommunication happens because yep. of those you know, the way in which we interpret a behavior, a story we tell ourselves. So I recently, you know, my business partner and I were working on a non-business project. Yep. And he really, I I asked him to do something or in as part of the committee or something. And he functionally told me that's not my job. Now, he's been my best friend for almost 20 years. He was best man <laughs> at my wedding. You know, we've worked together, business right. partner. And I've never once in the time I've ever known him for him to say, that's not my job. And at the time I got very mad, right? Um, and I came up with all of these reasons. And I, I was like, that that just doesn't sit. So I had one of those crucial conversations. I was like, mm. look, this is what you said. The story I'm telling myself is that you don't care and you're kind of abandoning this project. Yep. And it turned out, he he's like, I apologize. That's not what I meant. And there was some third thing going on with someone else that had nothing to do with me and nothing to do with the project. And he's like, I don't feel comfortable sharing my opinion uh, at, in this venue. Mm. Whoa. Okay. I and he's like I'm here to support whatever you need. I just didn't want to go to that meeting. Okay. Wow. But I would have never found out if I wasn't able to have that conversation or if I had gotten mad, it would have just turned into right. a fight. And that's yep. somebody I've known 20 years. <laughs> so imagine the miscommunication that happens with people you don't know that well. Sure. I I'm going to add one thing, but this is a topic for a different day. I'll have you back on another podcast <laughs> on the road is the interpretation of texting and emails. Boy, oh boy, Michelle, I know you and I could spend hours, you could spend hours preaching to me and telling me what's, you know, like the capitalization. Of, anyway, <laughs> don't want to go down that rabbit hole because I, but, but being able to have that human face-to-face -face conversation in some cases to me is critical. But again, we'll save that for a different podcast. <laughs> Let me leave you with this because um, I think millennials tend to get bashed with all they want. They want, you know, gimme, 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 right? Gimme, 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 gimme. But I got to give them a lot of credit for wanting companies to create a safe space for them, wanting to say, look, it's not just about the money. It's mental health days. It's, hey, can I can I have flexible work hours? Hey, can I maybe not have to come in the office five days a week? Like, 
I think they've done a really good job at kind of moving the needle in this, I'll call it a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective in dealing with them, as you work with tons of organizations, small, medium, and enterprise size uh, uh, level companies, um, what are some tips that you recommend organizations out there to really infuse the right culture perspective on millennials as they are our next generation of, of the workforce? Yeah, so your older millennials right now are just turned 40. So this is a huge portion of your workforce. If you're thinking yep. anywhere from the ages, late 20s to 40s, it's pretty much the core. Yep. And it, an understanding of like what was going on when millennials hit the workforce, I mean, they have been subject to recessions, the pandemic, the... Yep so many different things historically is that millennials and Gen X for that uh, for that matter, they're not like the, the generations who would join an organization, work there for 30 years and retire. They have very, very little trust that an organization is out looking for their best interest. And, you know, I think the it was a few years ago and before pandemic that someone in that age group is likely to have three to four different careers in their lifetime, not jobs, wow. careers, wow. right? So they're at the point that they don't feel that their organization is necessarily loyal to them. They're not necessarily going to be blindly loyal to an organization. So this idea of taking for granted that, well, we give them a salary and benefit so they should be happy is no longer true, right? When it comes to millennials in the workforce, the best way I can sort of describe it is self-determination, mm -hmm. right? They want to feel that what that they are not a cog in the machine that what they do matters and it doesn't, whether it matters at like a global scale and they're working yep. for a nonprofit or does it matter to advance the organization? Does it matter to their team? They want to be a person um, and growth opportunities are a huge thing when it comes, whether that be experiential uh, training opportunities, it doesn't necessarily mean forward advancement in terms of like hierarchy, although that is one, but it can also be new and exciting projects or new initiatives to work on. Um, we're finding a lot of organizations, bigger organizations are moving towards this uh, intrapreneur model mm. where they give um, their or incentivize their employees to come up with a new idea and the company will try to implement it. So it's a win-win from a culture perspective, that individual yep. is seeing the fruits of their work. They're doing something, they're being creative, that innovation, and the company is able to grow and innovate with the people that it has. So it's hmm. though when, you know, that, that, it is in the media, that gimme, gimme, gimme culture. Yep. But part of that's because if they don't, who is? Um, hmm. We have found that, you know, just like anyone else, if someone in your workplace or organization is engaged, they will, you know, work so much harder. Their output, their, their retention rates, like, everything, every marker for an organization's bottom line is improved. 
And so that positive culture that's focused on engaging them and engaging their employees is really um, net beneficial in what millennials are looking for. Everybody's easier to manage and work with when they're engaged and happy. So love it. And and they have they want to feel like they're a part of the team, but they also want to feel like they have individual creative creative ideas. Right. I love that. I didn't mm-hmm. I, th- th- you just taught me something new about the entrepreneur. That's an interesting um anecdote to what you know, like you said, bigger size companies are doing to really make sure that they're all in and focused in, 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 you know, driving towards their success in, small in lieu of the success of the company. Yeah. Yeah. In small organizations, they may not have like a formal program like that, sure. but this is the same, they can institute it in the same way. So one thing yep. that we do is we call them sprints. So okay. once a month we'll identify something that in the company that needs to be fixed or could be better or something. And it doesn't matter what your job role is. You come to the sprint, it's four hours or something on like a Friday when work is a little bit slower anyways. And everybody brainstorms and works on that problem and comes up with an action plan of how we're going to fix it. And so everyone has a stake everyone has a voice you get to use your creativity and you're making your making the business and organization better and in shaping its future it's as simple as that and it costs an organization it costs us four hours and we order lunch because lunch is fun <laughs> so I mean, lunch is fun you know brainstorming is fun right but right. millennials i mean i applaud you i know i know a lot I know that the, the media tends to kind of downplay that it's it's a gimme, 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 uh, you know, uh, generation, but it's not. I think you've done a really good job at, you know, really emphasizing the importance of who you are as an individual and how you can impact whether you're an entrepreneur, right, or, or a company. Um, so you, your generation, I'm, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, yeah. but the millennial gen, I, I applaud you because I think they've done a really good job at, at really, you know, paving the way for future generations and making sure that everyone has a voice everyone has an opinion uh and it's not just about the money it's about the culture as well right and you brought that up earlier in our conversation so that's awesome so michelle from coeus creative group where can people reach out how do they how can they connect with you sure so um probably the easiest way is linkedin i am on linkedin but then also you can reach me by email it's just michelle at coeus creative group Um, and you can find us on the web as well. I mean, you can find our company pages everywhere, but, uh, that, or, um, through behavioral elements, that's the, the behavior assessment I was talking about. Okay. Uh, I'm on there as well. So awesome. Well, Michelle McCran, thank you for attending today's how to jab and knock out the competition with real leadership sales and marketing results. We really do appreciate your time. Excellent. Thank you so much.